Welcome to Better Worlds, a podcast exploring geek culture across mediums. This is part two of our discussion on the movie Black Panther. You can find part one at betterworlds.net slash podcast slash 30. And you can find the show notes for this episode at betterworlds.net slash podcast slash 31. Relating to the ancestral plane and uh, we already talked about Bast, I felt like so in a lot of the superhero movies of the modern age, I feel like it is pretty common for the movie makers to try to reduce the traditional explanation for the superhero and try to make it more technological. So like, um, Oh yeah. Like even with Thor. Yeah. So, um, one example of this would be, the Spider-Man movies that came out when we were a kid, they thought that would be weird if he shot the web out of his wrist. So, or wait, no, no, they went the other direction with that. They, well, he, they genetically modified him. So they were like, well, it's yeah. going to make sense if he got genetically altered, he can do. Something. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a good example of this. Um, I, I'm thinking that because instead of like saying, okay, he's got a magic hammer, like, and letting that be its own thing. They're like, oh, well it was forged in the heart of a dying star or something. They're like trying to, ground it in a more cosmological, like even something that's a little closer cosmologically to normal un- audience understanding, then it's just magic. Yeah. And they've taken away Tony Stark's technopathy and made him just really smart, which he already was really smart, I guess, but yeah. well, he didn't get that till later, but yeah. Okay. I, I guess I don't know enough to really come up with an example, but I feel like a lot of times the movies try to technologize a lot of the stuff. Well, they took away um, Falcon's psychic link with Red Wing and they just had it be... That's a good example. They That's a good example. Just had it be a robot, he... Yeah. Um, and it felt like they were a lot more comfortable with some of the more magical stuff in this one, even though, obviously, they still have the vibranium explaining a lot of the stuff. Um, they still have the ancestral plane, the heart-shaped herb. Um, they talk about Bast. So, and like, even with Dr. Strange, they're like, it's not really magic. It, like they kind of were going with like, oh, it's just, uh, I feel like they spent a lot of time in the movie dancing around that. Like it's magic, but it's really just a different system of knowing how to do, like, it's a different science. Like they approached it scientifically. Yeah. And like, there's just a de- different methods and stuff you have to learn too. And I feel like they maybe didn't actually ever successfully resolve that tension. <laughs> Like they were trying to say, like they literally addressed it like, okay, you're sitting there waving your hands and stuff happens. I'm just sitting here waving my hands and it doesn't do anything. How do I get from there, from here to there? And they kind of philosophized about it. I don't. <laughs> you see, you have to learn the name of the wind in order to control it. <laughs> have you read that book? Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought of whenever you were talking about making it more of a science uh, explanation of magic. Since just because of how well-defined the magical systems are in that book. Yeah. Okay. And they make it into a sort of science. Not saying it's scientific. It's just like they have. It's very, it's very systemized. Yeah. And they, work on it in labs and foundries and universities. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
anyway, you were going to say something, Trevor. I feel like I derailed your point somehow. No, I was just going to say I felt like this movie was more comfortable with those things. Oh, yeah. I would agree with that. And I'd say that's a, in a way, that's a good sign that, I mean, the main criticism I've heard levied at the MCU is that the movies trend towards kind of a sameness. And the fact that they'd be willing to ease that constraint of like trying to be more grounded and technologized with everything would be a good sign that you're easing up on the at least editorial drive towards that sameness. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how to talk about that without going on a long rant, but I'm not trying to lead. I'm just saying if you're approaching it from that point of view, I could see it being viewed positively in that regard. Yeah. So just on the note of the whole concept of not like the others, I I understand what you're saying in this case, and I think that's a good observation, but it just leads me into this other thought. The idea of not like the others comes up fairly often, I feel like. So it might have come up before this, but the one that comes to mind immediately is when Winter Soldier came out. I remember a lot of people saying this is a superhero movie that transcends the genre and really demonstrates that a superhero movie doesn't just have to be a superhero movie, but it can actually be of another genre and just happen to feature superheroes and it should have more mass appeal and demonstrate that these movies can tackle bigger issues and so on. And I feel like people are saying a lot of the same things about this one. Like this is the the first movie that transcends the genre, the first movie that actually tackles big issues. The Um, first superhero movie that has broad appeal. And I'm like, no, like we've said this, several times like ant-man is a superhero movie it's also a comedy and a winter heist. soldier is a super, and a heist yeah uh, winter soldier is like a spy movie um political thriller political thriller yeah um age of ultron is a parable about what happens when your best intentions literally gain sentience and turn against you or carry <laughs> carry themselves out to their natural conclusion Um, to their natural extreme conclusion. Like there are a lot of big things and deep issues that are investigated in these movies. And so I get kind of frustrated when people say, Oh, they're just all the same. They're all about like, there's a guy and then he inherits this power, but then somebody else finds the power and then they have to fight each other. Like, okay. If you boil it down to like, it's most simple essence and completely ignore all the things that actually make the movies interesting. Sure. Um, you know, most, most movies feature protagonists. Therefore, all movies are the same. Like, <laughs> how much do you want to boil it down? Um, but there have been numerous deep issues covered in these movies. And, you know, on that note, um, I remember when Thor Ragnarok came out, reading that it made superhero movies fun again. Never mind the fact that Ant-Man is hilarious. And... um I find the Thor movies hilarious personally. There's a lot of funny stuff in the Avengers movies. Like there's a lot of funny stuff in a lot of these movies. Um, and then, so it's like, okay, so winter soldier comes out, people say, Oh, it's the first serious superhero movie. And Thor Ragnarok comes out and people say, Oh, superhero movies are finally 
fun again. And then Black Panther comes out and people say, oh, it's the first serious superhero movie. Superhero movies are finally serious. I'm like, no, you guys, like, if you paid attention for more than two movies in a row, or more than one movie in a row, you might notice that a lot of these movies have humor and drama and pathos and issues discussed. Like, (laughs) we don't need to pretend that every movie is special because it's not like the others. We don't have to disparage the other movies to praise the one in front of us. So one of the, and I think this was a post credit scene in Ant-Man um, that I've actually, I had the thought of several times during Black Panther um, and leading up to Black Panther was the scene where um, Hank Pym is bringing Hope Pym down and shows her the WAF suit and is like, well, basically you can go do that. And she, and it's almost a meta commentary just says, well, it's about damn time. Yeah. In that, with that being a commentary on, we really need to show more of the female superheroes that are very prevalent in the comics on the big screen. Kind of a commentary on that. But then that kind of, like, liking T'Challa and there being just a good depiction of that on screen, I just had that thought several times. Like, it's about damn time. Yeah. Um, I also, I don't remember the exact tweet but i think it was james gunn responding to criticism that the marvel movies are all the same he said something like the last movie i made ended with a raccoon on a spaceship realizing there's a god what more do you want from me (laughs) i don't find the guardians movies similar to any of the other like i don't know how you make that claim at all i don't i don't know but this one certainly does um, stand alone in a lot of ways. It's not like the others. Um, <laughs> but the others are pretty great, too, in their own ways. I also realized from that, like, rewatching that, how much I was like, oh, I hadn't realized that before type thing where I was like, Ego died in, like, the most fitting death possible after he gave Star-Lord's mother a brain tumor. And squished his Walkman. Yeah, they put a bomb in his brain and exploded it. I was like, mm, that <laughs> seems like the appropriate death for. Oh yeah. It's like poetry. As close as you're going to get to giving a planet, a brain tumor. Yeah. I had not thought of that. Anyway, that's the little far field of, of uh, all that, but Oh, there was a, can I make, can I move on to a different point? Oh, please. Um, <laughs> One of the things I wanted to bring up is that, so I want to preface this with, I in this movie, I liked T'Challa and I really liked Shuri. Both of them are not one, are not completely the way they are in the comics. Okay. And that is not a bad thing. They've been adapted. Um, so the thing I want, I'm going to make a roundabout thing here i the thing i want to complain about with t'challa is that in the comics he's one of the smartest men alive like he could outsmart tony stark on pretty much any day or and like he'd maybe he could match uh wits with reed richards of the fantastic four and he's the smartest man alive um and that component is not present in the cinematic t'challa but they kind of offshore all of that like intelligence and technical prowess into Shuri 
And they do that so well. I don't want to complain about it because again, I really enjoyed Shuri in this and that kind of like, I feel, and I'll go into this later. I feel like one of the themes of the movie is playing with interdependence. Um, and the fact that they don't have T'Challa be a character who could be 100% self-sufficient and that he has to rely on his sister for the smarts, techie stuff, that kind of like hits that theme of interdependence. So it's like, uh, they changed the character, but they did it in such a good way and in such a thematically <laughs> appropriate way. And like, they, then they made that a lot other characters to be good. Like, I have a hard time complaining about it. Um, so in the comics sure the one and again i don't know if i want to complain about i'm just kind of drawing that it is different shuri is a lot is kind of more stoic doesn't have the same techiness but she's a lot more of a badass like just um she there's a part where like t'challa becomes morose and the king of the dead and he goes and does his own thing and she's like well he's not holding it together and she just effortlessly goes in and takes up being the black panther and running wakanda yeah the only comic book i've read that has them in it he is the king of necropolis yeah and she has become queen of wakanda mm-hmm. um and that's a whole different thing which and he's still like i don't know it's uh they're just different and i feel like that's worth pointing out but i again think they've been very well adapted to this in the way that the movie and the universe works. Okay. So I had been going to ask about Shuri's intelligence because I think it's the producer of the movie. I'm not sure. I I didn't see a clear reference to who said this, but apparently somebody out there said that Shuri is more intelligent than Tony Stark. So I was going to ask if she actually was or not, but it sounds like T'Challa canonically in the comics is and that's basically yeah t'challa would be in he's got like part of the reason he ever left wakanda was because there was a long-standing tradition where the future ruler would go out and integrate with the world because like it's not a secret in the comics like everyone knows about wakanda and there's lots of ongoing problems um but the next in line for the throne would go out and part of t'challa's going out in the world was he went and studied and got several degrees in like advanced sciences okay um so yeah i mean i don't know i'm just kind of pointing out that they've made changes and adaptations was more my point than anything yeah shuri was easily my favorite character in the movie i would agree with that (laughs) i just enjoyed how much she was having like she enjoyed what she was doing like you I feel like I... And T'Challa was my favorite character in Civil War, but then Shuri was my favorite movie, or my favorite character in this. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of it is that just joy that seems to permeate everything she does. Yeah. Um, But then also the way that she stands up to Killmonger at the end. I really liked that too, because it's like, she's not even primarily a fighter, but she knows he needs to be taken down. And nobody else has managed to do it, so she's like, "I guess it's my turn." <laughs> mm-hmm. And maybe that go that goes and like it's lo- like she shouldn't really stand a chance against a guy who has the power of the Black Panther, but she still does a pretty good job, and mm-hmm. she is still willing to do what she needs to do. I was a little, wor- <laughs> I kept thinking like throughout the movie, like 
how many times can your body go through the losing and reapplication of the Black <laughs> Panther thing? Because I was like, poor T'Challa, like, that's got to have a physical strain. Like, it's not even a fair fight on that level because it's like, he's been through how many, like, powerings and depowerings and a couple, I don't know. Yeah. I, one of the things I really like about T'Challa is that if there's a room, and this, like, comes out across, and it might still come out across, like, in event it, when he's part of the Avengers, if everyone's standing around arguing about like how to attack a problem, he's standing in the back quietly assessing everything and he's figured out a solution and he might start pursuing it independent of the team and people be like, Oh, he's doing this. Let's go do that. Like they would, he's the smartest guy in the room and he doesn't necessarily need to get everyone to agree with him. He just kind of will kingly lead. (laughs) And there, I don't know. It's, enjoyable watching him be the smartest guy in the room so they might that could be a bad thing because he's that's clearly not the um the cinematic portrayal but like i don't dislike what they've done in this i don't know does that make sense like they Mm -hmm. they're doing it in a way that they don't necessarily need that character so they what he's doing is i don't know it's still Mm -hmm. enjoyable Actually, I can use that to lead into that. I think one of, like I said, one of the central, what I was perceiving as one of the central themes was increasingly how they wanted at the end, like a sense of interdependence between not like not even just Wakandans, but just between everyone working together and how like you need all the parts of a whole versus kind of the what I, they, I don't think they quite explicitly say it as a Western model. That's what I'm going to term it as. But like there being a sense of dominion, like there is a, someone. A colonizer model. Yeah. There's like, there's someone at the top who's calling the shots and everyone can get behind and follow that or fight them for it. And they kind of, I don't know, I guess they play with that a little bit, but the it felt like the one, especially with Killmonger's whole, uh, like he almost had internalized like, okay, well, everyone's at the top and they're keeping the people in the African diaspora down. We just need to, and he didn't, like his solution was just upend the order, get the people at the bottom on the top and, you know, that I can rule from the top and that will fix all the problems. But that's like internalizing the system you came up with. Whereas I feel like the way that Wakanda ended up wanting to operate at the end was we're going to share stuff with people. We'll all work together. And we will, we eat like, again, they kind of show that with the characters, like everyone's got their own strengths and they work together to accomplish things. I don't know. That sounds like a really simple message, but it's. Well, I, I think they did a really good job with Killmonger as a villain. Agreed. And a big part of that is that, his message is actually pretty compelling. <laughs> hmm. um, and I think the viewers of the movie, I think there's a little bit of a challenge in that he'll say something and you think, you know, he's kind of right about that. Uh, but then two minutes later, you're like, oh my gosh, he shot her. What? Who is this guy? What does, who does he think he is? Uh, but then a little bit later, you're like, oh, you know, I think he's kind of right about this again. Um but then, like you said, once it completely breaks down to um, 
the actual substance and execution of what he's saying, you realize that he's actually adopting that model of let's just conquer everybody. And mm-hmm. that's just continuing the cycle of violence. Um, he's not, and it's he's, not actually going to resolve anything. And he's not wrong in his observations. I think that, like you said, is what makes right. him a, yeah. I, he's not, it, he's right in pointing out that the injustices exist. Yeah. And like, he calls out. Yeah. And that he's very accurately. And I think the movie would be far lesser if they had not done anything like this points to Wakanda and says, you exist in this isolated state where you don't have to deal with this. How can like, it's almost pointing out like how that's an extension of that same injustice, even though it's, they're kind of independent circumstances and there's different factors affecting both. He's not letting them sit like he's just by doing that in effect, kind of ending their isolation because he's saying like, this is the way it is. You can ignore it, but you're, your isolation isn't as, I don't know. He's he's challenging it, and I think that you can, you wouldn't have been able to do a, a Wakanda that's supposed to exist in a world like ours without having those questions come up. Yeah. So another thing is that um, Black Panther starts with the isolationist attitude. Mm-hmm. which I think comes from his obligations as King of Wakanda. And that's the thing that he is primarily concerned with is keeping Wakanda safe. But he really does learn a lot from Killmonger, even though Killmonger is wrong about his methods and does a lot of really bad things. Black Panther or T'Challa actually still learns from him. Mm-hmm. No, I'd say that's part of what makes him so compelling is yeah. that like, he's tied so well into the hero arc. It's like mm-hmm. you, in a way that I don't, I could be wrong. I don't think you've seen anything quite that effectively done in any of the other MCU movie. I, I want to say Loki, but that's just because I like Loki. So there's not... some similarities with Loki in terms of how he is a sympathetic villain and you understand the grievances that he has, but, um, it is it's certainly different in ways as well. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Killmonger ends up mapping more, even though he's, again, sympathetic as a villain, he ends up mapping more towards a villain. And as Loki goes on, he it's clear that he's not a villain. Like, he's not exactly a hero, but he he's gotten to a... He's a cat woman. <laughs> I... You know, I'm actually going to allow that one. That's a pretty good comparison, except not with the making out and the marriage. <laughs> he's not even completely a villain in the first Thor movie that he's in. Yeah. No, he's definitely a sympathetic. Yeah, he does. He's antagonist. For the most part, um, he's like a secondary protagonist who then ends up going bad. Like, I mean, not the whole time. I mean, he starts out as like completely on the good guy's side. It's halfway through the movie or partway through the movie that he actually begins doing bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, unless you count the letting people into Asgard immediate, but he thought he was doing a good thing. So I guess that's okay. That's fine. Chaotic neutral. I mean, he, I guess my point is he's not just a straight up villain. Even in the first movie, he actually starts out as just the friendly brother, brotherly brother. In his mind, he probably thinks he's chaotic. Good. 
Yeah. Um, so I guess the question with Killmonger, the way that he ties into the heroic arc for T'Challa, um, there were a lot of other characters who were telling T'Challa the same stuff. So I have to wonder if T'Challa actually would have come around regardless. I might've taken him a lot longer or he might've found excuses. Um, and I don't think it was Killmonger's actions and words per se, as much as coming face to face with the sins of his father. Yeah. Which that in itself kind of had a, like a biblical feel to it. The sins of the father shall be carried to the. Yeah. And I would say that that was maybe, if not, it was easily one of the more powerful moments of the movie when he's back in the ancestral plane again, when T'Challa is. Mm -hmm. And he's discussing thing there. He's talking and he just straight up, but that's the moment his character really evolves is him just saying to all of the other Black Panthers, you were wrong. Like, that's the moment when he's saying, I've relied too heavily on tradition, and I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I th- I want to point out that I think it's funny. Like, immediately when you see him in the movie, he kind of starts with charismatically saying, I never freeze. He freezes when he meets Churi. He, not Churi. Um, Nakia. He's kind of frozen in how he, view- and like you said, he's very traditional in how he's viewing the role. He literally gets thrown off a waterfall and then freezes to stay alive. <laughs> I, After seeing the movie, I started searching around to see if I could find an image that had... I wanted somebody to have put together a meme, and I was pleased that they had. It shows him saying, I never freeze, and then immediately shows him just laying in the snow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and then when he's finally actually frozen, then he kind of goes through that moment thaws out and then begins kind of the march forward and trying to take Wakanda in a new direction, which I just thought was like maybe a little too overly literal with the freezing, but you know, (laughs) I, I appreciated that. What did you think of their plan to take the heart shaped herb to Umbaku? It seemed flawed. It seemed a little desperate. Yeah. But also again, might kind of highlight the interdependence thing. I don't know. Because it like kind of showed how even the tribe in exile, they viewed them as still an extension of the society. And then in a way that goes towards the larger way the movie ends by viewing all the people in the African diaspora as people that are still connected, albeit distant in a way. So they still had some mm-hmm. level of... I don't know if responsibility is the right word, but connection that needed to be fleshed out. I mean, that was kind of the argument they gave when they were trying to get him to help out. Um, the argument that their fates were bound together. It's like, okay, you don't have to help us, but then how, you're going to be in trouble if you don't. Our fates are irrevocably intertwined. And see, he when he was so sure he wasn't going to, I kind of would have... Did they say it all during the fight? Because I'm not remembering if they did. Why they decided to come join? No. <laughs> they I just said like, they weren't going to. Yeah, and then they did show up. So yeah. that could just be that the argument... He like thought about it and he's like, eh, okay, I can go with those arguments. But like, I feel like it would have been better to get some... At least a line of like, 
why they did that other than just like they needed help and it served the story. Yeah. Um, also, the thing I don't want to bring up, well, not don't want to bring up. Was I reading? I don't know if it was intentional or not, but when the people who were essentially the soldiers and or police force in Wakanda boxed in the um, Dora Milaje. I was like, are they kettling them? <laughs> I was like, is that, is this like, like they were, I didn't think of that, but you're right. And they're literally the boys in blue kettling the people who were trying to do the resist. Like, I don't know. I was like, Oh my gosh. Am I reading too much into this? No, I think that makes sense. I mean, it doesn't have quite the same. So anybody who wonder, is wondering what kettling is, um, this is a police tactic where the police will block protesters in with their shields and then order everybody to go home and then arrest them for not dispersing, even though they've boxed them in and physically prevented them from leaving. Um, so that, now that you mention it, the image actually is pretty similar. Um, and I mean, it's not a, it doesn't have the same component. It's not like, obviously it's a battle. They're not ordering anybody to disperse. They're not arresting them, but the image is certainly there. But I almost wondered if it was like, Oh, is that supposed to be like kind of an indictment of that practice? Which would be, yeah. Anyway, I don't know. It was, I thought I had. Yeah. Dustin, I feel like we're monopolizing the conversation. I want, do you have anything you outstanding thoughts you had about the movie? Um, all of what I was prepared to discuss were lower level topics and I I'm just kind of deferring to you guys because this is more especially you Matthew this is a an important movie for you and I'm content listening to the higher level discussion. Well, I mean, I don't I'm interested in what you have to say. We've been talking about a lot of the big like concepts and meta stuff around it. So if you have something lower level i would actually be really interested to have some of that in there from a physics perspective how would you negate a vibration negating metal no <laughs> um i don't want the actual answer to that that's way too no complex. I'm, please I'm don't answer. not working on that <laughs> i don't really have anything um so I, okay i'm not I'm, I'm just i want to make sure you can say what i don't want to like stop you from saying things if you wanted to say things. Um, but I was going to point out one other thing about Killmonger that I understand, but I feel somewhat conflicted on because we've noted he was a very effective villain. It's kind of a shame he's dead. Yeah. But the way he died was so his own choice in a way, like he, he elected it rather than being imprisoned. And like, it was so, true to his character and like what he says when he chooses that is like oh geez that yeah <laughs> was like hard like i don't know that i can argue with this at all like i don't know it was sometimes the characters who have died in marvel because like they're they kind of have a problem of killing off the villains <laughs> yeah in most cases the villains are dead um but in this case it did feel like it was fitting like it fit really well that he died and that he chose that for himself yeah it was really fitting for his character both in the choice and the fact that he said yet another thing that made you go oh 
shoot, <laughs> you're right. Um, as he'd been doing through the whole movie. Yeah. Um, but also the simply for the fact of how it affects T'Challa. Yeah. And I feel like T'Challa was right on the edge of wanting to say like, oh, we won't throw you. Like he, you could see him kind of struggling. Like, I don't want to almost throw you in prison. Like you helped, like he knew that he had been helped by Killmonger, even if it was through a, like Killmonger's questionable means, like just in terms of where his own viewpoint was. I think T'Challa realized, oh, go on. And he still wanted to make things right for his father's mistakes. Yeah. He still wanted to, um, I think he still wanted redemption for himself and for his father and for Killmonger. Um, and there wasn't a real clear way to do that. Cause like, sorry, he like, he killed a bunch of people <laughs> and like, he'd probably try to do it again. Um, so that'd mm-hmm. be, it'd be tough. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if there would have been a good way to, I don't know. I feel like they could have spent some time. I don't know. The, um, I can remember when I, and this is like when I took a African philosophy class in college, it, one of the main things that they talked about was that in a lot of the thought in Africa, there's just a very large emphasis on forgiveness and like reincorporation of erring parties into the whole. So like I was looking at that and thinking, oh, that that could really and like if they're they were saying there's that can be a, sometimes a downside of some African societies that they can be too forgiving and that that then may, I don't know but in terms of at least I guess from Western perspectives but I was looking at that and thinking like well that seems to line up there that they would want to I don't know like they're it would have been an interesting tension to have to deal with in Black Panther two yeah. Dustin, do you have a favorite line from the movie? I liked how when Claw pulled out the vibranium on the wrapping, he had written fragile. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I do So much about Claw was great. I was gonna say Claw was like he wasn't bad in Age of Ultron, but there was just you know how I said I liked Shuri because Shuri was enjoying like uh Letitia Wright was enjoying being Shuri and you could tell that. Andy Serkis was really enjoying Claw. And I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was honestly surprised they killed him off. Like, and I, again, that kind of made sense. Like, oh, they were using that to make a statement. He already served the narrative purpose. But it's kind of a shame because he was really enjoying that role. Yeah. They also did a good job of homaging Claw without going nearly as ridiculous as Claw looks in the comics because he's like... I have heard tell that he is a being of pure sound in the comics. With a giant like satellite dish for an arm and in something that almost could only be described as like a giant red and pink full body condom. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) I heard... So I saw somebody say, you know, the jokes about Claw's SoundCloud are probably a reference to the fact that in the comics, he's literally a cloud of sound. <laughs> so is is he actually a being of pure sound? Or does I, he just have power over sound? I thought it was just power over sound, but I'm okay. not as well-versed in the history. Well, best I could tell from skimming wikis is that he's not a cloud of sound per se, but he is 
corporeal sound somehow. <laughs> so like he still looks like a person and has like physical presence and everything, but somehow his body is constituted of sound waves. That doesn't make any sense. And can <laughs> be negated in similar fashion. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Agreed. You had to have a vibration-based villain to fight against a place that has a metal that absorbs vibration. Yeah. Or negates vibration, I guess I should say. Everything absorbs vibration. I'm going to guess that the description I'm talking about also is probably like after the villain had been around for a while and they kept trying to up the ante. And like that's the point where they had kind of jumped a few sharks. The nadir of the character. Yeah. Uh, let's see the technology in the movie. I really liked the particle hologram things they were using. That was pretty cool. They felt kind of, um, the sand tables. Yeah. Those were yeah. pretty cool. Well, it took me a little while to piece together what all of it was. Cause at first I thought that's a cool looking hologram. And then I realized, Oh, it's like literally made of vibranium little bits of vibranium moving around of course and then yeah the sand table um and i guess the like the car and the ship controls were also like the sand table would like lower into the ground and project the thing to sit in is that what was happening i think that was something what was going on and i think another layer of this i think that the sand tables were also used for like instant fabrication of tools and weapons and armor. Is that what was happening or did a sand table simply have stuff laying in it? I don't know if it was instant fabrication. I have no idea what you're talking about. At the end, when near the end, um, when Shuri and Nakia are about to go into the battle, they run to get armor and weapons and they pull stuff out of one of the sand tables. And my impression was that it may have been fabricated on the fly, like just in time production. Because this, I mean, it's like vibranium sand. So the sand just kind of like, instead of putting it into an image for communication, you just move it into like the thing that you need it to be. And then you have the thing. I mean, really, it's not too far off to, like right now we've got really slow 3D printing. So if you had some sort of magical metal that would have not magical, but a metal that has miraculous physical properties. You could, I essentially do instant 3d printing with it. Yeah. I mean, they didn't, it wasn't like real on the nose. They didn't shove it in our face, but I think the implication was that it was just in time production in the sense of like 3d vibranium printing out of sand. I think that's what was happening. Also, I posted a, picture of the traditional claw outfit in the chat and it's things like that that are reasons why i will never be a we need to be faithful to the comics 100 percent person <laughs> i mean this is just like one of those typical red skin tight suit things i mean it's very common for how a character from like the 60s and 70s would be designed yeah but it would not be a good look on screen no um, what did you guys think of the jokes and humor? I was surprised with how much they put in. Honestly, I was not expecting it to be as funny as it was. Yeah. 
Dustin? I thought it was pretty funny. I enjoyed it. Um, one of the lines was surprising to me when she said, what are those? Yeah. I didn't know that. So my students used to do that when I was teaching. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that was a larger cultural thing. So, Oh, so you had encountered it in the wild? Yes. I had stumbled upon it online one time years ago, I think when it was at its peak. Um, so I was familiar with it purely for that reason. Hmm. Had you ever heard it before, Matthew? Heard just the, what are those? Like, yeah. As in, like, yeah, like being shocked at a fashion choicey thing. Yeah, I've seen that. That's just like a. It's always shoes. Oh, shoes. Yeah. Um, I guess I. I mean, I guess I've seen it applied to shoes. I okay. Think it's, it's, I mean, it's a meme. I think it's just like that. Sixteen-year-olds being sixteen-year-olds. <laughs> no, it's a. It's specifically a meme. Oh, okay. I have not seen it as a meme. No. Okay. It's. Um, the first video was a guy talking to a police officer. And I say talking to, I mean, he just kind of like pans the camera up and then like pans it up kind of slow and then points it down at his shoes and says, what are those? And for some reason it got really popular. Hmm. Um, when I was looking at the know your meme page to show this to Betsy, um, I saw one that was the, I'm going to say the wrong species. You guys are going to get mad at me. Bron- Brachiosaurus in Jurassic Park. Is that sounds right. I'm guessing. Um, what are we talking about? The, I scene, mean, like- the scene in Jurassic Park where they first see the long necks. Yes, yes that's a Brachiosaurus. Brachiosaurus. Okay. Um, Did you really just say the long necks? <laughs> I said you were going to get mad at me. Um, it's just the clip of like the Brachiosaurus walking along and somebody's like drawn shoes onto it in MS Paint or something. And then taking the audio of the original What Are Those video and um, pitch shifted it to be the Jurassic Park theme. So it's like, what are those? What are those? (laughs) And it's just on a really short loop doing that. Anyway, it's a meme. (laughs) I'll put links to that in the show notes. I also really enjoyed when she's getting the camera ready. She's like, it's just for research purposes. Yeah. I think, I mean, Shuri, Shuri was just funny throughout. I was surprised when I read later that she is supposed to be 16. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I saw that she was supposed to be 16. And I was going to ask you if you know how old T'Challa is supposed to be. Um. Well, in the comic, I don't know in the movie how he's how old he's supposed to be. But in the comics, they're... I think fairly close together, but they're both in like their thirties at that point. So it's interesting that Shuri is supposed to be 16. Do we say 16 or 15? 16, 16. And the, uh, the actor playing T'Challa, Chadwick Boseman is 41. Hmm. But he looks a lot younger. He does. But if you told me he's 41, I was like, okay, I, I could see that. Like he's just a very well kept 41. Um, um, I will we talk say, about it. Never mind. We 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 previously mentioned um, seeing more black people in the theater, not just black people, but a wider range of people in the theater beyond just white guys. 
Um, and I've, I've seen it twice. The first time was in my regular theater. And the second time was a little further into the city at a theater that tends to be more popular with black people. And it was just kind of by coincidence, but it was fun seeing it with more black people because a lot of the jokes in the movie got a lot more laughter there. <laughs> um, and some stuff that I think might not be as inherently funny to a white audience resonated a little bit more with a different crowd. Hmm. So it was just interesting noticing, like, I mean, I, like, I knew this part was funny, but like, you guys like really think this part is funny. <laughs> what were you going to ask Justin? Can we talk about? Um, so two story things. Can I give I... a quick example? I'm Go so ahead. sorry to interrupt now that you're finally saying something. No, that's fine. Um, that's fine. Just a quick example. Um, for instance, when Killmonger said, hey, auntie. Oh, that got a lot of laughter when I was watching it, though. Okay. When I watched it with more of a white crowd, it got like a little bit of a chuckle. And then with the more black crowd, it was like uproarious laughter. See, I watched it again. Maybe I just was not paying attention to the demographics of the crowd. I thought it was a predominantly white audience but that got a lot of laughter the lines about like like when i think it was sure you said something like what are you doing colonizer or something like that that got a ton of laughter don't scare me like that colonizer oh something like that yeah um imbaku telling ross to shut up by like barking at him got a ton of laughter and i was like "Hmm, okay that's a (laughs) funny it's funny in a way that i was thinking like us like certain white audiences would not like those. I that's what I would feel. But I don't know. It seemed like people found those funny. This was even with a predominantly white audience? Again, I might not have paid that. I don't know. It, that's okay. what I thought. Okay. Anyway. I'm sorry I interrupted you, Dustin. What? <laughs> I'm sorry I interrupted you. What were you gonna say? It's not important. No, I no. wanted to hear what you had to say. You've crushed his gentle spirit. <laughs> no. We're the we're the colonizers now. I really want you in this episode, Dustin. I am in the episode. <laughs> what were you gonna say? It's not important. I want to know what you were gonna say. If it's okay, dumb, I'll cut it. <laughs> <laughs> um. <clears throat> so two story things. I, I was sad when Killmonger burned all of the heart-shaped oh, yeah. what is it the heart-shaped herb heart, heart-shaped herb. heart-shaped herb like that just was i was sad for the future of wakanda because that implies that there are going to be no more black panthers I'm... unless they have a store somewhere else but they seem to indicate that that was the only if source of it if only they had a benevolent goddess who would help out I'm really glad you mentioned this because that was something I had wanted to discuss but forgot to. Um, and I was I was so relieved when I saw them steal one away. And I thought, oh, good. They'll be able to regrow the supply from that. And then they immediately crushed it up and put it in a drink. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you guys, I understand the urgency, but sometimes you have to balance urgency 
with importance and maybe the long-term non-extinction of the plant is more important. Than... I would bet Wakanda has seed stores or something somewhere. One would hope. That wasn't what they said, though. I kind of tried to rationalize it in my head like, okay, yeah, this is the last one. But if you don't take care of this right now, then Killmonger is going to do all this bad stuff that's going to be irreversible. So you kind of have to pick. Um, but yeah, I was wondering if like maybe either Bast or either Bast would give them more or the Vibranium would somehow cause more to arise. Because <laughs> they said that it was caused by the Vibranium. I mean, Vibranium does all this other stuff. Why not? Didn't they say that Vibranium caused the heart-shaped herb? I, don't, I thought they said that at some point. I don't know. I think it was maybe implied at the beginning during kind of the mythic storytelling, Billy. Okay. But I guess it's also kind of like the gift of Bast. So, yeah. That made me really sad too, Dustin. And what was your other thing that made you sad? It wasn't making me sad. I wanted to know if you guys felt like Wakabi switching allegiance was... Did that work for you guys? To me, it seemed like um awfully shallow grounds for betraying your friend and your wife was that was uh okoye his wife or just oh yeah yeah like i got the okay. impression wife i did too but they he never said they just said my love wife and she never said husband and so i wasn't sure if they were just like romantic or like romantically involved or if they were actually married but anyway it seemed like killmonger bringing claw sure he would be grateful for claw being dead because it avenged his parents but it seems like not it seems a bridge too far for him to just completely overturn wakanda and betray his friend for Killmonger. Uh, yeah, it that did story work for me. Did... You can go first, Matthew. It seemed like it happened fast. I'll give you that. It worked well enough for me because I was like, okay, I see. Because I guess I could see it as like, he basically said, okay, I've had to watch my whole life. This ne- Nothing ever happened here with this old king. I'm pretty fed up now, but you're new and we'll see how you go with it. And like in the heightened emotional state of already having to deal with a big major change in your country and then kind of like thinking about that and then seeing a very close chance for justice to happen and then it to, to not go through even after your king who's kind of your friend specifically gave you his word it could i it, like i understand what you're saying it seemed a little shallow and like again i think they kind of hurried the beat there a little bit but i don't know it could it works for me it worked for me specifically because of the way Killmonger's plan fit so well into the existing system. Like he didn't just come in and like walk into the throne room and cut T'Challa down or something. He actually went through all the proper rituals and stuff to actually become king. And for that reason, I could see Wakabi accepting it and saying, yes, this is a new king who will do the things he needs to do that the prior kings were not willing to do. 
and because he's actually really the king, um, my wife will change her allegiance as well and follow suit and do her duty. And that'll just be the way Wakanda is now. And it'll still be Wakanda. It'll still be a stable sovereign nation. It'll just be more willing to assert its authority. Except that whenever they pointed out that the challenge wasn't over, he didn't change his allegiance. Yeah. I think that's the part where it got really messy, where he stayed with Killmonger, but his wife switched back. That's where it got really messy for him. Um, And, I mean, it could easily be argued that Killmonger had really won the challenge as soon as Zuri intervened. Because if Zuri had not intervened, then T'Challa would have been dead. So that makes it a little bit messy. But maybe because he didn't, like, combatily intervene. I don't know what the rules are. It he could did. Be... Killmonger was delivering the death blow, and Zuri blocked it. But that, like, blocking's not, like, fighting him. I don't know. Maybe it's a... Maybe as the officiant, he's allowed to? I don't think he was. I don't know. I don't know the rules. I'm just throwing yeah. out, like... Maybe there were circumstantial reasons for why that didn't count. As a, I could just I could imagine Wakabi like they've already gone through all of this. His, the guy he likes has legitimately claimed authority, and then at the point where the other guy comes walking back, I could easily see him justifying either the challenge wasn't valid because the guy interfered, or okay, you're back now, but you've been gone and this guy's been coronated, so tough luck. Well, it doesn't matter if you won the popular vote, T'Challa. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I agree, Dustin, that it is very messy. And Wakabi's kind of a jerk for doing that. I do. I know, and we didn't really talk about Okoye. I liked her a lot as well, especially the consistency with her sense of duty. And she stuck with it until the moment when she saw that it wasn't a straightforward, like when she saw the challenge was still ongoing, then she was like, Oh, that changes things. Like, but up until that point, she was like, I have to do that. Like, I don't know. I appreciated her sense of duty, even when she didn't like it. What was the point when she and the guards turned on Killmonger? When T'Challa showed up and said the challenge was not done. Yeah, but it was, they, they objected to something that Killmonger did. It wasn't, I think maybe it was the fact that he was refusing to continue the challenge. Oh, I think that was maybe it because that showed he wasn't in line with the. Okay. Yeah. Cause they said the challenge is not done. And he said, basically, no, it is. And that was the point where they said, you have too much hate in your heart to be a king. Yeah. And immediately turned on him. Okay. Also, I really like... Although it's, that was the first time that the rubric of how much hate do you have in your heart got brought into the question of who got to be king. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not saying it wasn't a good line, but it was a little bit odd to bring that up. Yeah. And I, I was going to say that reminded me with um, Okoye. I enjoyed, or like when they had the North the scene in South Korea 
when she was just complaining about the wig the whole time. And she finally whipped it off and used it as a distraction in combat. <laughs> yeah. I found that amusing. Although I'm beginning to feel like Korea, um, Korea probably has a, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, has a complex about like people showing up and having fights on, like car fights on their streets and then leaving. <laughs> over vibranium. Yeah, over vibranium. <laughs> what was it? strictly about vibranium or that wasn't that over like the vision's body or something i don't know it was it was um the reason that ultron had gone to south korea was it actually busan as well no that was wasn't that seoul i don't remember i feel like it might have been busan i'm not sure i mean busan's like the second city isn't it i could be wrong on that i'm not sure which one they were in in age of ultron but the reason ultron went to south korea was to get the doctor to put him into the vibranium body. Well, like so they the, were the, the whole... vibranium fleshy body mix yeah. thing. That was go- yeah. I, I, so no. the whole chase and everything there was over that vibranium body. I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Oh, something that surprised me about Black Panther is that the soul stone did not show up. Yeah. I was kind of expecting they were going to do something like, and the heart of the vibranium meteor is the soul stone. The strongest stars have <laughs> hearts of soul stone. So, <laughs> um, so I was, I was kind of surprised they didn't do that. And I was like, you know, that would have been a distraction from the story. I'm kind of glad they didn't. I do think it's there though. What it color be, is the soul I'd, stone? Hard to tell. The colors don't match anymore okay. with what... The, I mean, they've been changing them, and now... Well, what color is missing? Uh, Hold on. They've got orange? Do we have... We don't have an orange, so probably orange. I saw somebody writing up theories about how the ancestral plane has an orange tint, so the soul stone is actually what's powering the ancestral plane or something. I don't even know what that means, but fan theories... We've got them. Um, orange would be the one that's left, although in the comics it's green. But they they're now retconning the comics so that the con- the stones aren't called gems; they're called stones, and they match the movie colors. Oh, I did want to say that I thought it, it's kind of interesting, given how successful Black Panther is, and we've been noting. And I had the thought, like, there's probably people just based on numbers alone, people who are coming to see this who haven't really been invested in the other movies that might either go back and watch at least Civil War because Black Panther's in it, but that are now probably invested enough to be like, I'm going to go see Infinity War. And I was like, that could this alone probably is going to help drive up Infinity War's numbers. Yeah. I think it's going to be an important one to see before Infinity War 2 since just the changes that are the stuff that happens throughout the course of the movie with Wakanda stepping onto the world stage. Yeah. I think is going to be important. I could imagine that. And then especially since in like the infinity event, which I feel like they're patterning at least a little bit of the movie would off of just based on the inclusion of certain characters, like Wakanda gets invaded. So they, and it's like the one place on earth that actually puts up a fight. Yeah, that effectively puts up a fight effectively and takes down invincible people like T'Challa specifically takes down people who are supposed to be invincible. Yeah. Um, 
I, this may be beyond the scope of what we want to do, <laughs> given how long we've already talked, but I am interested in the thought of like, which MCU movies can you watch without having seen all the rest? And I was thinking of putting together some kind of thing that explains it to people. Cause I, we're so deep into the MCU now that people are often afraid to jump in. I mean, it's kind well, of just the like, classic comic ones, book problem. <laughs> which ones you could watch without having to have previous, like, eh, that you could make a short list of that, I guess. Yeah. Unfortunately, so, you'd have to throw on things like the Hulk. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So what I was thinking was a list of all of the movies and for each movie list its dependencies. Um, so basically you would list the movie. What movies do you really need to see before seeing it? What movies would be nice to see before seeing it? Um, and that way you could kind of trace back. You could say like, okay, I want to watch the winter soldier. Do I have to watch Thor and like, look at it and see like, okay, I don't like, I don't have to see Thor but it would be good to see Captain America and it'd be good to see the Avengers. Um, or it's not the best example. Um, I was going to say the problem is you'd have to see the Avengers really for winter soldier to make sense. And then for that, I guess you'd have to see Thor. Well, okay. Iron Man three here. That's a good example. Iron Man three deals with PTSD, which like we were saying, lots of these movies deal with big issues. Um, <laughs> it deals with PTSD specifically from the events of the Avengers. It would be almost nonsensical to see Iron Man 3 without seeing the Avengers. I'm not convinced that means you have to see Iron Man and Iron Man 2. It'd be good to. Those would be like, it's good to see Iron Man and Iron Man 2, but you really need to see the Avengers before you watch Iron Man 3. Conversely, watching Age of Ultron almost works better if you don't see Iron Man 3. Why is that? Because they completely ignore that movie anyway oh <laughs> because he says i'm giving up the suits i'm giving up the suits i don't yeah. need i'm getting surgery to fix my heart i don't need this anymore yeah back in a suit back doing it all no mention of the nothing just to- yeah that was confusing um so specifically for black panther the question is how standalone is it i would say it's good to see civil war um okay so there's kind of three levels there's the ones you have to see the ones that you really should see. And then the ones that like, okay, there's a little bit of a reference, but like, you don't have to see it. Um, there are none that you have to see because even the civil war stuff is covered in flashbacks and explained very well within the movie. So I don't think there are any dependencies. I think you could see black Panther by itself, but it would be good to see civil war. And if you wanted to, you could watch age Voltron to get claw. Yeah. But it's those are sim- the only, well, Unless you count, I guess there'd have to be a fourth tier for like the scenes after the credits. Like if you really want to know who this guy who shows up for five seconds after the credits is, then you can watch these four movies. Spider-Man's kind of, Homecoming's kind of similar because you have that same like, it'd be good to watch Civil War, but they cover enough of it in Homecoming that I mm-hmm. don't know that you absolutely need to see Civil War. Right. And then pretty low down on like the nice to see if you wanted to you could watch the captain america stuff to understand those jokes but you really don't have to you know what's really an idealized point that doesn't that's in there but doesn't require you seeing anything else even though it's in the middle of all of it is ant-man oh yeah 
Ant-Man would definitely be a standalone. Um, I mean, it has Falcon. But yeah, but in a way that doesn't... I guess you... It doesn't really matter, though. That doesn't matter in the sense... Like, it ties... I don't know. You would see that as just a weird non-sequitur. Like, that'd be, oh, what is this? Like, it ties in going ahead rather than looking back. Right. Okay, so it has Falcon, and he had showed up in The Winter Soldier. And then it has... Wait a minute. Falcon is in Winter Soldier, but he's not in Age of Ultron, right? I don't think so. That's weird, right? Oh, no, in the end he is. Oh, when they're back at the place? When they do the new Avengers. Okay, I was going to say the complex from the end of Age of Ultron is there, but you're right, Falcon shows up there for a little bit. Um, So those would both be like, if you want to totally get all the references, you can see these, but you don't have to. So, anyway, somebody... Maybe myself needs to put together a dependency tree for the cinematic universe. Guardians, the first one, you really don't. Oh, yeah, that's totally standalone. I mean, the first Thor and Captain America are kind of standalone anyway, too. Like, you don't need... Like, I can remember showing my dad Captain America, and there was zero problem with... He didn't need to see all the other movies to get that. Right. But even then, there's a very low level, like... If you wanted to, you could watch... Thor to understand the source of the cube that's in Captain America, but you really don't have to. It's just a nice to have. Mm-hmm. I want to dovetail back. Do you want my opinion on what the stupidest of all of the post credit scenes is? I already know what you're going to say. I think I might have complained already. Howard the Duck? That was not what I was going to say. Okay, that's mine. <laughs> I... Might want to. I'll find a way to amend my statement because I agree that I don't care that they did Howard the Duck, and that was kind of stupid. But that did. Oh, I have another guess. Go ahead. Um, the Incredible Hulk. What was the post credits? When Tony Stark, Tony Stark comes in and talks to the general about the Avengers Initiative. Uh, that's even. And if like to the viewer, it's like, what is going on here? Okay, so. Why did they send Tony? That doesn't make any sense. Why are they talking to the general? Because he doesn't know where the Hulk is. Um, and they they ended up re- putting together a one shot showing Phil and what's his name? Sitwell talking about this, planning it. And basically some higher ups have decided they want to hire Abomination, the villain from the Incredible Hulk, to be on the Avengers. And so they agree to send Tony, who they refer to as the consultant, uh, to talk to the general in order to sabotage the negotiation because they know he's a jerk and is not good with people, at least in situations like this. Um, they send him to make sure that the abomination does not get recruited. That one's bad on the meta level because I think Marvel kicked themselves for that counting as one of the six contracted appearances of Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> before they had to pay him more money. Ah. They're so like, why did we waste that on yeah. a 30-second scene? But it makes so little sense from a story perspective that they had to write a whole extra thing to wreck on it. But in the point in time, Iron Man was so popular and that like helped tie things and yeah. hold enthusiasm on for two years until a new mo- Wait. Yeah, until Iron Man 2 came out. Yeah. Um, and it made even less sense from a story perspective because that scene clearly happens after Iron Man 2 because that's when S.H.I.E.L.D. recruited him in Iron Man 2. 
I guess I could see what you're saying. But the movie comes out before. Anyway, I'm going to stop guessing. What do you think is the worst post credit scene? The, at the end of Age of Ultron, when Thanos is there for two seconds, reaches in and pulls out an Infinity Gauntlet and just says, fine, I'll do it myself. Oh, I like that one. That's so stupid. The gauntlet doesn't do anything. It's just a metal glove. And in the comics, it doesn't exist until you have the gems anyway. But it's like it, no, in the cinematic universe, the glove functions. Do you remember when we were kids and all the state quarters started coming out? <laughs> and we, So that's him reaching into his vault and he has the... He has no state quarters. It's like the cardboard map that has the map, the cardboard map of the United States that has a hole for each of the quarters. It's like that. It's basically him Fine. going. I'll do it myself. To, yeah. He pulls out the cardboard map and he's like, I'm going to fill this with quarters. It doesn't. <laughs> it added nothing. We already knew that was going to like that. It should tease something. And there it's like, we already know he's going after it. And that eventually he's going to get tired of everyone being completely incompetent with all of this. And he didn't even make like he did that. And was there even a plot with him in place to go do anything? That's like he was watching from afar and he was like, eh, the virtual nothing I did here didn't achieve any results. I'd better go get involved. <laughs> I don't know. It just, it bugged me because I was like, this doesn't, that's not even intimidating. You have a useless glove that doesn't do any, I don't know. It, 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 he's like strapping it on like, I'm in for like, <laughs> the like this is about to get real folks. And it's like, I can put on a glove and say it's about to get real too, folks, but it doesn't evoke fear. Anyway, that's my vote. I'm going to start doing that because I lost one of my gloves, and so I only have the one now. <laughs> just put it on and be like, fine, I'll do it myself. And he's just going to... he At that point, it's still taken him three years to figure out what he wanted to do. <laughs> do you have a least favorite post credit scene, Dustin? <laughs> I don't know who Howard the Duck is. So I guess I'll go with that one. You're lucky. He's in like I've seen that scene. Oh, okay, and it doesn't make any sense to me because I don't know who the character is. Okay, and that's good. Yeah. Stay that way. Most of the reason that I have heard of him is that George Lucas made a Howard the Duck movie in the '80s. It's really bad. That's what I've heard. And you know, I was gonna go ahead and watch all of George Lucas's stuff anyway, but. It's past Christmas. I finally saw the Star Wars holiday special, so I'm not sure I want to live out that dream. It's not even like the redeemable, like, let's laugh at this bad. It's just, it's bad. And the Star Wars holiday special isn't either. And the hol- and not the, the Howard the Duck is probably the one of the reasons that comic book movies took so long to get off the ground because they made it. <laughs> and then they're like, eh, this was really bad. So what you're saying is what George Lucas accomplished for science fiction movies he did the opposite for comic book movies <laughs> it's kind of the same logic as like why they wouldn't up until wonder woman they wouldn't consider female-led comic book movies as a yeah. good idea because they're like well we tried making catwoman who wasn't really catwoman and like had no connection to batman or any like any of that like we tried making that and it was terrible didn't they also do electra yeah, they did. I did personally didn't think Electra was as bad as they said it. I thought it was better than Daredevil, which is not a high bar. Let's be fair. That, but I didn't think it was quite that bad. But everyone seemed to think it was bad. 
I'm not saying it was good. I just don't think it was. I haven't seen any of those. I mean, like, I'm not recommending you go watch it. Oh, don't worry. I won't. <laughs> I think you would like that Electra better than um, Netflix Electra. Oh, I hate that Electra so much. I That's why I'm saying I think she's such a waste of time. Move on, Matt Murdoch. Vaughn. Okay. Should we wrap it, wrap it up? Yes. My heart is clear. All the stuff that was being said about, like, first black superhero, et cetera, et cetera, which obviously isn't strictly true, made me a little bit sad for Luke Cage. I did. I was a little worried because I saw online someone getting very upset, like, no, the first movie they should have done should be Luke Cage. He's actually an American superhero. When's he going to get his moment in the sun? They're never going to give him a treatment. And it's like, do you not realize he had has a whole show? Like, I understand what you're, I understand yeah. that maybe they were trying to make a point about a movie, but it's like, if you really want to see him on a screen, you already have so much more time than a movie would allow. Yeah. I think his might be my favorite Netflix Marvel show. I think that is, I'm not going to say it, that is my favorite Netflix Marvel show. I was surprised how much I liked Jessica Jones. I. That's the only reason I can't for sure say that Luke Cage is my favorite. I find Purple Man very problematic. So that's. Well, the, the thing I mean, that, that's kind of his point. Yeah, I know, but it <laughs> precludes me from like liking that. I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Okay. I'm not going to argue that. Well, but anyway. Clearly, we're done talking about the Black Panther. Therefore, we have reached the end of the show. If you would like to see the show. Oh, wait, I have one other thing I want to say. Um, <laughs> this is going to be super brief, and it's really just to say that I'm going to give people a link to read. The costumes in this movie were really well done. Um, and I have an article I'm going to throw in the show notes that describes the work that went into them and why they're so cool. That is all for today. Thanks for listening. Wakanda forever. Oh, darn. I was going to say Wakanda forever. I was expecting a go then. Okay. Wakanda forever. This concludes part two of our discussion on Black Panther. You can find the show notes for this episode along with links and images at betterworlds.net slash podcast slash 31. You can find us on Twitter at betterworldsnet. And if you want to help us out, you can rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you might be listening. If you'd like to join our Slack group, you can find that at slack.betterworlds.net. What? <laughs> what did we do to, us, to Matthew? What I was actually laughing at was that Trevor said the comment about Black Panther masks, and I was like, huh, that sounds interesting. I'll go look at that. <laughs> and this was in the chat language. <laughs> 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 it's so bad. Ha 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 ha!
<laughs> That's the mask he wears before battle. <laughs> no, this is the ceremonial mask from the first waterfall fight, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the worst mask i've seen like in a lot like it's just looking at you with such i don't <laughs> i'm imagining the guys that are patrolling from the trucks look up in the tree and see him wearing that <laughs> oh i hurt